Good morning, everybody. We are going to be uh, in the book of Mark. Obviously, chapter 7 is where we're going to be today. And let me just say a few things, and, uh, and we'll, we'll pray, and we'll, we'll read our, our scripture for today. Um, if you can't hear me, it's because it's raining. And, uh... <laughs> so awesome. All right, well, we've been looking at Mark. And Mark's been looking at us and just been a real, uh, obviously a challenging book is anytime you look at the life of Jesus and we really look at, at his mission, we look at what, what he was about. And, uh, I I was like going through the gospels because we get to see how he worked and how he, how he raised up disciples and how he lived in his culture and all that kind of stuff. And, and where we are right now with, with Christ, especially with his disciples, we're going to see, uh, especially through really the rest of the book, but especially through chapter uh, 8 and 9, is we're going to see him really teaching his disciples and really empowering his disciples. And we saw that last week when, when Jesus looked at his disciples when he's feeding the 5,000 and says, you give them something to eat. And it was this, this point of empowerment. And so today, what he's going to do is he's going to teach us about how important uh, Scripture is. And uh, he's going to begin to to go against really the tradition of the elders. And there's some traditions that were in place at this time. Um, Jesus is not really that traditional. Um, he doesn't follow a lot of, of the Jewish traditions as they would see be because they have all these extra sort of uh, traditions going on here. But I read through Mark uh, up to chapter 7 this week a couple times and I was just floored at like, you know, as I look at Jesus, I don't know what I'm about to say is super obvious, but it was just a reminder to me as I'm reading about Christ and, and what he did and what, what he was about. And I, I was reading this whole, just these first few chapters up to seven. And I was like, you know, I'm reading that. And I'm not like, when I read that at the end of it, I'm like, you know, when I think of this person, I think of Jesus because he was so amazing. I mean, he is unmatched in how he lived and what he did. There is no one like him. And so it's just a reminder to us, that's why we're here today. That's why we're here today. We're here to join. We're here to worship God. We're here to, to see what his mission's about, to see what's important to Christ. And today we're going to see what's important to him uh, is his, his word. So let's just, let's pray. Father, we're, we're so grateful, God, for your word. Thank you that it brings life to us, it brings activity to us, it sharpens us. Father, we, we thank you uh, that we need, we need direction. And God, you're quick to do it through your word. And so we just, uh, we love that about you, Lord. We know that your, your word is even above your name, that your name is only as good as your, as your word. And so, Father, I just pray that uh, you would teach us today. Just humble to be able to teach your word and and, uh, and talk about it and talk about you and Father, we just pray for for revelation today. Just every person in this room in a different place, and I just pray that you'll you'll meet each and every one of us right where we are, and that you'll reveal something to us today uh, that that changes us, that that moves us into the direction into the mission of Christ. And so, Lord, we, we thank you right now in advance for, for what you're doing in our midst. In Jesus' name. Uh, Matt, excuse me, Mark chapter 7, verse 1. 
says this, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why do your disciples live according why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Now if you ever ask Jesus a question, he's not going to answer you directly, okay? So this is, this is one of these examples right here, okay? And, there, and it's like, what? Okay, so, but don't be distracted. It's good. Uh, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have not, or you have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me, Corbin, that is a gift devoted to God. We'll talk about it in a second. Don't be confused. And then you no longer let him be, uh, let him do anything for his father and mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God, and by your tradition, you have handed uh, that by the, the truth you've handed down, and you do many things like that. Okay, so Jesus is a little irritated today. At the traditional elders, and he's gonna he's gonna challenge this, and so and it's intensifying with his life. He's wanting his disciples to know today. He's wanting them to know how important Scripture is, how important the way we handle it. It's, we're gonna talk about Scripture's authority, why it's authoritative. We're gonna talk about Scripture's purpose. What is the purpose that the Scripture has for our lives? And we're gonna talk about the power and and the central person around which the scriptures talk about. And so we're going to start with with authority first, that the scriptures have authority. They're authoritative, okay? And uh, so five times in this passage, Jesus challenges the tradition of the elders. He challenges these rules, and he doesn't like traditions or laws or rules made by men that push people down or disregard other people. Okay, and so he constantly challenges these. And so the traditions of the elders was this. We have all these laws in the Old Testament. We know about these laws. And what happened was, is the, the elders saw these laws, saw these rules. And what they did is they said, listen, we have got to bring interpretation to these rules. We need to explain to people what these rules are about and so they begin to add all these different rules and, and uh, levels and all this kind of stuff to the actual law of God. And the problem that happened was, is that the extra rules that they added on to the law, to the commands of God, 
They said those things, those things are as equal to Scripture. What we're telling you, you need to do this. This is just like Scripture. You need to apply these things in this, in this way. Okay? And so we saw this a few weeks ago when we talked about the Sabbath. Okay, and Jesus got a little frustrated with how they handled the Sabbath. And the reason he was frustrated with how they handled the Sabbath was that the elders created about 30 additional rules and laws on top of the Sabbath. And they said, you need to do these 30 things extra on top of just what the Sabbath is. We want to make sure that we don't miss anything. We want to make sure that you understand what, what, what God is teaching here. And so they would hold these rules and laws, these traditions, over the people. And Jesus is saying, listen, this is totally distracting people from what my heart is about, from what this commandment is about. And in many places, we'll see here, they're contradicting what God was even intended to say anyway. And so, and, and so they took away the heart of, of what was happening here. Let me give you a couple examples. Because these laws were done on ritual purity, how things were handled in the temple different festivals, how you did that, Passover, all these kind of things. And so in here, um, one of them was, so he, he, these elders, these, these Pharisees said, hey, listen, why don't your disciples wash their hands? They've been walking around, they've been in the market, they've maybe touched a Gentile person along the way, bumped shoulders, whatever. They're, they need to wash their hands before they eat. They're, they're, they're unclean, they're not pure, and so it was a real big deal for people in this day to constantly wash their hands, make sure they're pure, make sure they're right. The problem is, is that the only place in Scripture, and it talks about a person washing their hands to be ritually pure or, or going into the temple to be clean, was when it said the priests, before they would go in and lead worship into the, in the temple of God, they were to wash their hands. So he, he, the word of God talks about that the priests need to be clean. They need to wash their hands. It doesn't say that everybody, every time they eat a meal, they need to wash their hands. And Jesus is saying, look, you're adding all these other things on top of this. That's not what the word of God says. You're nullifying it. You're, you're distracting people uh, from, the, from what it really uh, is talking about here. The other place it talks about it is this, this idea of, of Corbin. And what this is... And I had to research it. I was like, what is that? When I read that, I was like, I've never heard of that in my life. And so, and I've read Mark before. I don't know how I missed it. Um, it's so important that we understand this. Not really. But, uh, but we should. And so what he was talking about is uh, in this day, what would happen is, is people would have, so let's say you owned a piece of land. And maybe that piece of land had a little house on it or somewhere somebody could stay or or whatever, or you could sell that land and you could do whatever you want. What they would do, again, a traditional the elders, is they would say, um, you know what? What you can do if you just kind of want to protect that for yourself is, is you can say, look, I've committed this land, this piece right here, this house, this whatever it is, this thing that I have, is committed to the Lord. I'm giving it as an offering, as a gift to God. And so then, if your parents come to you, or somebody is in need, and he specifically talked about parents here, about honoring your mother and father, if they come to you, and they need something, and they know you have this land, you can say, you know what, Corbin, I, I gave this thing to God, see? 
So, I mean, I, I can't use this to, to now bless you because I've given this over to, to God. And so you can, that's, why, that's why Jesus says, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corbin. I might have been able to help you, but this belongs to God now. Sorry. And Jesus is saying, listen, you have totally contradicted. I've given you this. God gave you this piece of land. God gave you this whatever to use this to bless your family. And now you're taking what I've given to you, what I've entrusted to you, and you're not doing that. You've turned this whole thing, whole thing around. And Jesus goes on to say, and you do many things like that. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, and this is pretty rough, I could go on and on right now and talk to you about all the things and all the ways in which you're taking the word of God and the laws and the commands of God and you're manipulating them and making them work for you. I could go on, we could do this all day long. So Jesus fired up and there's one verse in here, uh, verse uh, six, that really stands out to me um, that we read. And this is from Isaiah. And it says this, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. And you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. This is one of the only places in Scripture. Jesus kind of does it indirectly. throughout. We've seen this through Mark. Indirectly, he's continually challenging them. Um, but this is one of the places in Scripture where he goes straight on with Scripture and says, the way you're handling this scripture here, you're nullifying the word of God. You're revoking the word of God by the way that, that you're, you're doing this. And it's interesting to me that Jesus' whole life, his actions, his thoughts, what he did was all built on scripture. He's constantly, when somebody would ask him anything controversial, whatever, what would he say? It is written Okay, And so we see different places in Scripture, different places in the Gospel where, where Jesus does this. In Matthew 26, um, Jesus is being arrested. It's total chaos. Things are, are totally out of control. They come to arrest Jesus, his good buddy Peter. What does he do? Pulls the sword out, goes to take a guy's neck off. And Jesus is like, hold on, dude. What are you thinking? Don't do that. And then he goes on and says, and sort of rebukes Peter here. But he does it with the same angle he's doing in Mark 7 here. He says, do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? He knows he's going to get arrested. He knows he's going to be taken to the cross. He knows his life is, is, he's going to be brutally beaten the whole nine yards. He knows that's going to happen. He's saying, look, Peter, this is about the word of God being fulfilled. This is about something bigger that's going on. This has to happen here. And, and then it goes on in another place where, where Jesus is, is carrying his cross. And he's walking through and he's got his cross on. And there's some... Uh, Jewish women standing here and they're weeping and they're crying and they're wailing. They're watching Jesus walk through the town. Their hearts broken, all this kind of stuff. And what does Jesus do? He quotes a verse out of Hosea to him. And then when, when Jesus is on the cross, okay, 
When Jesus is on the cross giving his life uh, for the world, what does Jesus do? He quotes Psalm twenty-two, eleven: My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So while he's being arrested, while he's carrying the cross, when the devil tempts him in Matthew 4, he says it is written, he speaks the word of God. All these things, Jesus' goal is to reveal and to fulfill his word with his life by his action. So first point today, if you have your outlines with you, just pull, pull those out. First point today is this. It's going to be on the back. The first point is this. The Bible is first. What Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 7 is that the Bible is first. When Jesus said, it is written, when he, when he responds to somebody, and he responds to them, it is written, what he is saying is, what I'm about to say is, is from Scripture, and that trumps what everybody else says, what culture says, what the traditions of the elders say, all that. Because what he's saying is, the Bible is first. The Bible has the ultimate authority uh, to do what it's supposed to do. And so this is so important. There's a verse in Psalm, um, I was going to use that side not to, but I'll talk about it a little bit, that, that actually says that, that God's name, okay, is according to his word. It means that God's name is above, or excuse me, God's word is according to his name, meaning God's word is above his name. Okay? His word is above his name. Because if his word isn't good, then his name isn't good. See, so all these things have to happen in Scripture. All these things have to, to be fulfilled. And the way we handle the Bible is so important because Jesus, his whole life through the gospel was about handling Scripture and seeing it fulfilled in his life. And seeing it, it coming about in his life. So the word's bigger than our name. Our name's only as good as our word. And, that's, and, the, and the, same, the same thing is true for God. And so we, we see this in a, an amazing way. But what's happening here is all these additions to, to the word and to the commandments of God. Uh, and I'm sitting here thinking, I'm reading this. You know, the biggest challenge of my life, and this is probably true for you too, the biggest challenge of your life might be just applying what's already written. I mean, if I could just do what's in here, I mean, to... Add more is ridiculous because I can't even do what's here already. So it'd be, it, it seemed uh, totally ridiculous for me to continue to add things or whatever when I can't even do what's, what's already here. All right, the second thing this, this morning is, so if it's all about authority, it was a little teachy so far, but if it's just all about authority and we just need to do it and buckle, you know, it's authority, you got to do what it says, then that's going to get a little dry, isn't it? If that's all, all we do. But, but there's more here. Uh, the second thing is this. What is the Bible trying to do in my life? That's the question. You're outlined there. What is the Bible trying to do in my life? We're going to answer that question. What is the purpose of God's word for my life? What is, what is God wanting to do? What is this authoritative deal trying to do? One of the biggest things, I mean, think about this. One of the biggest things that makes the Bible reliable and authoritative is what it does in our own lives. You see, for, for me personally, the Bible has great authority and it's, it's reliable and I can trust it because of all the things it's already done in me. 
all the ways it's already changed me, all the ways it's already led me down incredibly awesome paths of truth and, and things that are right and th- ways that are right and love, all, all that stuff. And, and then you can watch some. Have you ever seen somebody begin to apply and work through the Bible and you watch it in their own life and you watch God change them? And you're reminded of how powerful and how much authority, how much reliability there is in, in God's word and how much we can trust it. So what is the Bible trying to do in my lives? I want to read this again. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You know what God wants? He doesn't want more rules. He doesn't want more traditions. What he's saying here is, I want your heart. He's saying, your heart is far from me. And I want there to be a closeness to us. I want there to be a fellowship of, of me. I want you to be close to me. I don't, I don't want your heart far away. And the way he does that is, is through his word. If you can go to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures uh, in closing today. I, uh, these scriptures really came a lot of me a few years ago and, and uh, sort of making a lot of sense to me. And they're very popular sort of scriptures if you've been in church any amount of time, you've heard these. But 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, uh, talk about God's purpose and the use of, of Scripture. It says this, All Scripture, verse 16, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God or the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So verse 16 talks about the uses of, of Scripture, right? Correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness, okay? These kind of things. Those are the uses of Scripture. And then when the Bible is used like that in our lives, when we read the Bible, take it in, allow it to have its use and purpose done, then a purpose is, is, is revealed in, in, in us. And it's this, that we're thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, now what this word thoroughly equipped means, if we were to kind of go back, is, is it means Perfectly fitted. Perfectly fitted. You see, God's word, when it happens in our lives and we receive it, we begin to walk in it, we begin to apply it in our lives, it begins to perfectly fit us for every good work. It's, it's, it paints the picture of like a ball and socket joint in your body. When it's perfectly fitted... When it's perfect, and it's perfectly doing its, its proper function, it works. It's this fitting sort of thing in our lives. And so the Bible wants to fit us for his works. Okay, so uh, let me help illustrate this a little bit. When I, was, I went to South Korea with a friend of mine, and we were doing this pastor's conference kind of deal. Uh, it was about 10 years ago. And I re- remember going there, and he's like, hey, listen, when we're here... Uh, I'm not a big suit guy. I don't like wearing suits. I have a suit. Um, I wear it as little as possible. He's like, listen, you know, you do weddings and these kind of things. You need to get a suit. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. And, uh, and, and when you come to Korea, what you get is a tailor-made suit, okay? And so you go in, and I've never done that before, but basically for the same price here, you get just, you know, store-bought, Dillard's, whatever, men's warehouse kind of suit, you can pay the same money, you can get one that is perfectly fitted, tailored to fit you. And so I went in this place, and, uh, and they did three things. You want to tailor, so this is what they do. They're going to they're measure 
inseams, outseams, leg seams, arm seam. I mean, they just measure every link you got and, and put all this stuff together. Then I was like, okay, that's fine. And so then I went back in. And they had the suit kind of pinned together and all this kind of stuff all put together and whatever. And they had this. So I went in and it was it just looked like a mess because they had it all pinned together and it fit me perfectly. But there was like just material coming everywhere. I'm like pins all over the place. I'm like, like, well, you need to try this on. I'm like, if I try that on, it's going to kill me. It's like all these pins. I'm not trying that on. And so finally, I said, like, you know, you need to try it on. I, I got it. That won't happen. Don't worry. Just trust me. So I tried this thing on. I'm like, okay, got it on. I said, like, oh, man, it's perfect. Great. Uh, I don't want to come back again. So just sew this thing up. And so then you come back in. They make you try it on again. And it's perfect. It perfectly fits you. This is the kind of thing God's word wants to do with us. It wants to perfectly fit us for what? Every good work that he calls us to do. That's one of the important things why I love one of the things I really love about A and C is that we, we teach through Scripture verse by verse. We go through Book of Mark, Romans, Ecclesiastes, all these different books that we've gone through. Because then it's not like we as pastors have to come up here and figure out something every week. We just have a text and we teach it. And, and so it's so much more powerful than us trying to figure out something every week. We just, we just teach what God has, has in front of us. Um, I was going to teach through Mark 7, 14 uh, through 13, uh, but I found out Matthew's teaching that. So if you want to, if you want to listen to that message, uh, Matthew's teaching it today and you can get on the internet and you can do that. We're going to start uh, in Matthew 24 uh, next week. So pull that up and, and listen to that. And the reason I'm not going to teach it is because when I got to verse 13, it bothered me. When, when I read thus, you nullify or cancel you repeal, you overthrow the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And you do many things like that. When I thought about as a dad, as a pastor, whatever, I have this opportunity to hand down the word of God to my kids, to people, to teach them it. And then it, and then it says, and you do many things like that. I was thinking, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. That you do many things like that where you teach in such a way that you nullify the Word of God. The Word of God's powerful. Let's look at Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 4, 12. Hebrews 4, 12. We talk about the power of God's Word, why it is powerful. Verse 12 says this, For the Word of God is living. The word of God is living, okay? So if something is living, it has the ability to create more life. Agreed? If something's living, it will create more of, of whatever it is, okay? The word of God, and then it says the word of God is living and active. So something that's active, something that is in motion can create what? More motion, more activity. See, it reminds me of my house. I've got three kids that are living and they are active. They create more life and they create more activity and motion and lamps break and glass things break. Why? Because they have so much activity and motion about them. So there's, the word of God is living. 
It's going to create more life, and it is active. It's going to create more momentum. And then it says, is living and active, and it's sharper. Have you ever known somebody that's living and active, but they're not very sharp? If you don't get it, it might... Uh. So the Word of God is living, active, and it's sharper, okay? And so... Why is, why is the Bible sharp? It says, sharper than a double-edged sword. That's really sharp. So the Bible was, was made to cut. And the question is, so I have, what is the Bible going to cut? What is it, why does it need to be, to be sharp? And then it says this, It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's dividing soul and spirit. What's your soul? The soul, it, it's the seat of your emotions. It's where we, we, our soul is what allows us to have emotions and we can make decisions based on our emotions. And what it's saying here is that the Bible is going to cut and it's going to divide our soul and our spirit. Because God doesn't want us to make decisions based on our soul, based on our emotions. He wants us to make decisions based on our spirit because his spirit is within us. Okay, And so he wants us to, to do that. Because the Spirit of God is, is in us. And so it, it's cutting and it's making new things. And it's, it's uh, cutting away old things and, and making those new things. So the Bible, lastly today, the Bible leads to transformation. It leads to change. Some of you guys are uh, teaching a kid's class. And we just, we just did this here. But it, it just reminded me the same thing. That the Bible is, is not a book, book of rules. It's not. It's not. A, it's not a rule book. It's not a book of a bunch of heroes. Okay, the Bible is a book about God, and so every story in the Bible, from the beginning to the end, points to Jesus Christ. When we when we look at Abraham, when we look at Isaac, when we look at Joseph, when we think about Moses, when we think about David, if you read Habakkuk, if you read Jonah, if you read Daniel, all of those books point to one person, and that is Christ. And why? Because he's the only one that came and fulfilled all the commandments and all the, the law of God. And God wants our hearts. God doesn't want more rules. God isn't looking for more tradition. God wants to capture our hearts. And when he does it, its purposes will come about and we will be thoroughly equipped. We will be, cha- we will be changed. We will be transformed uh, by the power of God. Let's pray.